0: Amen. Wow. Thanks, Lisa. Um, Those of you who read our email will have been expecting Tony this morning. Um, And I should have said earlier when I said that Tony's got COVID, he's really well. um, He's fine. Let's pray that he stays that way. Um, But he gets out of jail next Saturday at midnight. Um, So you've got me this morning. Um, But yeah, it's quite funny, actually, because I'm going to be sharing with you a message that Tony prepared, um, but actually there's particular parts of it that are things that I've really been meditating on this week anyway, so it almost feels like God knew what was going to happen. Anyway, should we talk about magicians? I am still a little bit bitter about my mum throwing away my favourite computer game because it had a magician in it. It was one of those like... Oh, God. games when we were young it was like it text and then you type yes or no or go north or go south and then at some point I went north and there was a magician and mum binned the tape. tape that's what games were on um, but we're going to talk about magicians this morning in church not negatively we're going to talk about the magi and talk about the wise men as Zeph read for us so beautifully earlier and as we do that we're actually kind of skipping forward a bit so often our kind of Popular images of Christmas will have, you know, Mary and Joseph and this baby in a manger and then on one side you've got the shepherds and then on the other side you've got the wise men with their camels. But actually they probably visited several months after Jesus was born. They weren't there for the birth of Jesus. But they came. And we're going to look at the fact that they came, we're going to look at why they came and we're going to look at what that means for us now today. So it gets to the heart of something really important about Jesus. That Jesus is a king for all nations and a king to be worshipped. So who were these magi, these magicians, these wise men? We need to think a little bit beyond the songs that might be familiar to us and see what it tells us in the Bible. What do we know about these people? But as we do that, I really want our focus to be what their focus was, which is Jesus. Now, we don't actually know how many of them there were. And if you want to annoy or patronise a small child, perhaps you could ask them after the service, do you know how many wise men there were? And if they say three, then you can look at them with a knowing adult smile. We know there were three gifts, but we don't actually know how many people brought those gifts. And we don't know exactly where they came from. They came from the East, all good things come from the East. But we don't know exactly where from. What we do know about them is that they were learned people, they'd studied really hard, and they were people who were looking out for, waiting, watching for what God was doing in the world. And they were not Jews. But clearly for them there was something... They were open to God doing something in this little place called Israel with these people called the Jews. They had a sense that God was at work in the world and they wanted to explore that further. And maybe that's why you're here today. You've got a sense that there's a God at work in the world and, and you want to know what that's about and so you've come. And we really want to invite you to go deeper into that. you know. And if, if you want to do that, if you want to talk with someone more about how you might explore Christianity, then come and speak to me afterwards or any of our team, and we'd love to connect with you and take that further, that question, what is God doing in the world? What does it mean for me? These magi, these wise men, were part of God's big plan, the plan from the beginning of time, of all the nations coming together to worship Jesus. People came from far off to worship him. Look at verse 2. Verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now in our, in our New Testament we've got four Gospels, four accounts of the life of Jesus and they're actually written from slightly different perspectives. They're written by different human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit and also we think they were probably written to slightly different groups of people. The Gospel that we're reading from this morning is Matthew's Gospel and Of all of the four Gospels, in some ways, Matthew's is the most Jewish-focused Gospel. He's got that Jewish audience in mind in what he writes. And he very much emphasises the kingship of Jesus. But you want to read Matthew carefully, because that's not all that's going on. When we read about the genealogy of Jesus, so, you know, this person begat this person, and this person, you know, all of that, actually, we see in there four Gentiles, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth and Bathsheba. None of them were Jewish and actually they were all women. And you know the usual point of a genealogy especially in kind of religious writing would have been to show someone's pure pedigree who they were descended from. In this case it would have been to demonstrate Jesus's pure Jewish pedigree but Within this, Matthew tells us about these four Gentile women. Right from the start, even before he was born, there's this sense that Jesus is for all nations, for all the world, for all peoples. And I think what that means for us is that actually the church should be a gathering of all nations. And I think especially in a place like London, you know, if you're in a little... Village somewhere in, I don't know, the northeast of England, then there might not be that many people from different nations around you. But here, we're privileged to share our city with people from all over the world. So many languages, so many cultures. And so that is what the church should look like here in this place in particular. All nations. And I want to ask you a question this morning that is one that I personally find very challenging. What is your heart like to people from other races and other cultures? Not what would you say, but what's your heart like? If we really believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, if we really believe that he's a king for all people, for all nations, then as we follow him, we're going to have a love for all people from all nations. We're going to desire what God desires for them. That they get to hear and understand the good news of Jesus. And that's why we do what we do. So we see here in this passage that Jesus is recognised not only by Jews but also by Gentiles, by non-Jews. They say they've come to see the king of the Jews. Even the Gentiles see and recognise him as king. But this isn't new. This isn't just something that Matthew kind of gets out of nowhere. It's not something kind of radical and different that just appeared with Jesus. Actually, this idea of all of the nations being included in God's kingdom is there right from the start. We know that Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. And he's told that through him, all the people of the earth will be blessed. What? do you think that means? I don't see any other way that that's been fulfilled other than through Jesus. That through Jesus, who is Abraham's descendant, all the nations on the earth have been blessed. And the nation of Israel were to be like a light to the other nations. In Isaiah 40, it says, I have a greater task for you, my servant, Not only will you restore to greatness the people of Israel who've survived, but I will also make you a light to the nations so that all the world may be saved. So God is shaping, and has always been, he's shaping a people formed from all the nations. And so he sent a king for all the nations. And that's what Matthew wants his readers to know, to understand. So it's really interesting that You know, after the kind of genealogy, the first people on the scene for Matthew are the Magi, are the wise men, these Gentiles from the East. They're like a representation of all the nations that will come to worship Jesus. Even there, right at his birth, it's being made clear that he's the king for all. And then Matthew finishes his gospel with Jesus sending out his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. So from beginning to end, even in the most Jewish of Gospels, there's this idea that Jesus is king for all nations. He sends his disciples to all the nations to make disciples of all the nations. And so here at the start, what we see is that those who are far off are beginning to be made near. One of the themes of this gospel, actually, of all of them is of outsiders becoming insiders, but also that some who look like insiders are actually outsiders. And we're going to look now at how the king, Herod, responded to this, how he's made insecure by what happens. And we can read about what Herod did in verses 3 to 8. What do we know about King Herod? He was actually a very gifted leader. He generally had a good reputation. He was called Herod the Great. Uh, And we need to be clear that he's not the same Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. That was uh, one of his descendants. But yeah, gifted leader, great builder of cities, really messed up family. Uh, If you read on, you can read about the things that his children did. Really freaky. And there was a sense that he was an illegitimate ruler. Um, so he, he was kind of made king. He wasn't born to be king. He wasn't born uh, of royal descent. He wasn't descended from the kings of Israel. But he, he'd become king and he kind of clung onto it viciously. And he was like the original multi-faith king. You know, He rebuilt the Jerusalem temple and made it even grander than it had been before. But he also built temples to Roman gods. And he killed his own family members to cement his rule, including his wife and mother in law. And, you know, we read in Matthew's Gospel, verse 3, that he was disturbed by the news of Jesus. Jesus very often disturbed the comfortable and comforted the disturbed, and, and he still does that today, in our day. Jesus was going to be a king for all. Herod wanted to be king of all. But there's no throne sharing in the kingdom of God. We know this of Jesus, that of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. What kind of king is Jesus? We often get fed up with our governments Sometimes it feels like they're self-serving. Maybe they expect us to do things that they don't do themselves. I'm a politician myself and quite often when I knock on doors and speak to voters, they, so many people are so disillusioned and they say, you're all the same, you're all in it for yourselves. And sometimes I find it hard to disagree. <laughs> Jesus is the king that leads by example. Jesus is the servant king, the king who gets his hands dirty, who doesn't just sit in a comfortable palace and make pronouncements, but comes alongside to dwell among us. Emmanuel. The incarnation, which is a fancy Latin word for God-made flesh, is the ultimate example of that servant king. He becomes like us, takes on flesh, experiences pain, suffering, grief. He identifies himself with us. How do we feel about the challenge that Herod faced? Do we want to serve King Jesus? Or do we want to rule on the throne of our own life? Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Not only Herod was disturbed, but all Jerusalem were disturbed by what went on. They knew enough to be disturbed, but not enough to worship. And so Herod calls together like the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the chief priests. And you'd think they're the ones who should know the purposes of God. They know the theory, they quote the prophet Micah, but they don't know enough to actually worship the one that the prophet is speaking about. They're full of knowledge, but they lack revelation. A bit like wearing a football shirt because you like the colour, but you don't support the team. The priests wore the shirt. I mean, literally, they wore the robes, but they didn't worship. It's really easy, I think, to see hypocrisy in others. Do we see it in ourselves? What about us? Do we come to church but not really know And worship Jesus? Do we read about him? Do we talk about him? Without really knowing him? Because in this story, it's the outsiders, the non-Jews, the magi, who do what the priests should have done. They look for the saviour to worship him. And the priests don't. And that echoes what would happen with the gospel with Jesus himself. Sometimes it's the unlikely ones. The gospel moves from the margins first. Herod wanted to kill Jesus because he saw him as a threat. Herod's rule was really insecure. He was kind of trying to tread this really delicate line between keeping the Romans happy because that was how he'd got his throne in the first place. So hence the pagan temples and all the rest of it but also he definitely needed to try and keep the Jewish people happy so he would call himself a Jew and do this stuff but then go and build temples to other gods which is probably the most non-Jewish thing you can do (laughs) he's treading this delicate line the whole time trying to please everybody to keep his throne and he's deeply threatened by this king that the magi talk about And these wise men, they inconvenienced themselves because they wanted to worship. They travelled a great distance. Those camels that we see in our little nativity scenes, I mean, they're not, I've actually ridden a camel and it's not the most comfortable way to get about. I definitely prefer a plane or even my own bike to riding a camel. And it takes a really long time. They would have travelled for weeks, months. I think, I was trying to think that Probably the furthest anyone travels to our services is Andrew and Sylvia and Fiona and Andrea because they come in from like just outside London to the east. But these guys, they travelled hundreds if not thousands of miles to worship Jesus. Great inconvenience. And Herod asked them, where's the Messiah going to be born? That's what he asked the religious leaders He wants to use their wisdom. He wants to use their knowledge of scripture. But we all know he's not asking so that he can go and worship King Jesus. He's actually asking so that he can kill this one that threatens his throne. He's co-opting that religious knowledge for himself. Go find him and come back to me. It's possible to begin with Christ but end with self. And that's what we see with Herod. Let's not allow our worship of Jesus to be distracted or used or manipulated. Church history tells us that it's really dangerous when the church tries to win secular power, political control. Our worship can be subverted by having that power. Actually, a church on the margins... Represents our saviour, who himself was born on the margins, and who called the marginalised to himself. Let's look back at our passage, verses 9 to 12. What did they do? They followed the star. They came to the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed that long, uncomfortable camel ride. They were overjoyed, and not just because the journey was over, but because of what was in that house where the child was. Some of us here have been on that journey of finding Jesus, being found by Jesus. Maybe it's been a hard, difficult journey. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. I wonder if you can remember that joy when you found where he was that joy when you were found by him don't give up even if it's hard even if you don't like sitting on camels don't give up when others want to distract you don't give up even if it feels painful God will give you joy in the hardship Jesus is worth it he's worth following he's worth finding and they bring gifts gifts to the king not because he needed them I've personally never given birth but I've been to a lot of baby showers and whenever I've asked her what you know what can I get you no one has ever said gold frankincense or myrrh they're not high on the list of new mums wants well the gold I can see that could come in useful later but Jesus didn't need those things I mean he's the creator he made those things they didn't bring those gifts because they had to because Jesus wouldn't have been able to be who he was without them they brought those gifts because they wanted to that was their act of worship and I think it needs to be the same with everything that we offer to God our time our gifts, our talents, our money you know God's not living in his overdraft, terrified that he's going to run out of money and just waiting for me to bring my tithe. We don't give to God because we have to, because God's desperate for it. We, We give like they gave, voluntarily, out of joy. But let's not just give our gifts. Don't just set up a standing order and stay at home. Let's be like them, let's go and worship. And this idea of the nations coming to worship was actually prophesied numerous times, just going to share one with you now. From Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And this story that we remember every year at this time of year is that dawn, that rising light that would conquer that thick darkness. And here with the wise men, we see the nations coming to that light. Jesus' birth shows God's heart for all and his bias to the outsider. Because who is it revealed to? To Jews first, but then to Gentiles. It was revealed to the humble, those who were looked down on first, and then to the wise and esteemed, like these wise men. It was revealed first to the poor, to the shepherds, and then to the rich, these guys with their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it's the same with the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. Firstly revealed to Jews in Israel, but then it spreads out further and further until all come to worship Jesus, even us lot. And we can see where this is going, the final trajectory of all of this in Revelation. And we sung about it earlier. Like I said, this you know, this message is something that Tony prepared. It was really on his heart for this morning. And I've had to preach it. But actually, this, this part is something that's been really on my heart this week too. I've been really meditating on this part of Revelation and what it means now and what it means about Christmas. They're looking for someone who can open this scroll that is sealed. Is there anyone who can do it? And John, who's the guy having this vision, is weeping because no one is found who's worthy to open this heavenly scroll. But then this happens, Revelation 5, 8 to 10. When he had taken it, that's Jesus. When Jesus had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And that, that image of a lamb, so John is... John hears a lion, a conquering lion, but he looks and he sees one who looks like a slaughtered lamb. And that's Jesus. So the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Jesus is worthy, the only one who's worthy to open that heavenly scroll because he was slain. And with his blood he bought for God people from all. Every tribe and tongue, every nation, every people. That's why racism is so utterly unacceptable. This is who Jesus bought with his blood. Every nation, tribe, and tongue, all worshipping at the throne of the King. And we're not quite there yet. There are still people who haven't heard about Jesus, there are still people groups, there are still languages where the gospel is not known. And we know that we need to get out there and make him known. We need to reach all of those corners, all of those people, because heaven's incomplete without them. And if we don't worship now, then we won't worship then. So in today's passage, we've seen various characters. Some of them the kids are going to dress up as next Sunday morning. And actually, in this part of the Christmas story, we're talking mainly about people who are kind of at the top of the heap. These wise men, the king, the high priests, the religious teachers. And they respond really differently to that rising king, that light that is dawning for all nations. The priests paid lip service. They knew the right thing, but they did the wrong thing. They didn't worship. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him. Do you know about Jesus, but have a cold heart towards him? Herod wanted to stay on his throne that he'd fought so hard for. He was threatened by this coming King Jesus. He even killed children to stay on that throne. What would you do to stay as ruler in your own life? What have you done? But these Magi, these wise men from the East, what did they do? They sought Jesus out. They worshipped him and they brought gifts to him. And they were accepted. These Gentiles, their visit, their worship, their gifts, they were accepted by King Jesus. And they were so welcomed that they were written about in this most Jewish of Gospels. There's there's challenge in this story for us. Not to have a cold heart towards Jesus, not to cling on to our own throne. There's also a beautiful invitation. Whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever the ways that you don't conform to what's expected of religious people, whether you were born a Jew or a Muslim or an atheist, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're educated or not, if you come to worship Jesus, he will not turn you away. And you can be part of that great scene that we read about where people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation gather to worship him. This is good news that this invitation is for all. And if we've already heard that invitation, then we get to be part of extending it. We get to be part of building it. We get to be part of that glorious future. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up now. And I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for our response to Jesus, the King for all nations. Jesus, thank you that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us. You don't come to lord it over people. You came as a servant king led by love, by such great love. And God, you know that our response to you is not perfect, that we don't want to let go of control you see all of our hearts but thank you God that seeing those hearts didn't stop you coming for us and thank you that your invitation is for all of us and so God we pray that you would purify our hearts purify our motives help us to respond to Jesus in the right way I pray that you would receive our worship now. That you would continue to shape us into that people from all the nations. Thank you, King Jesus. Amen.